morning and turn to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19 uh, this morning. One of the great things about preaching through an entire book is you don't skip any sections. If you do skip any sections, people ask you, why did you skip that section? Uh, This actually is a rather difficult uh, parable. Uh, I found anyway, and uh, it's interesting in the fact that this is actually Jesus' last teaching to the disciples before they enter into Jerusalem. So these are some very important matters. I realize that a lot of times people go to church or they, they like to hear a pep talk. They like to hear these kinds of things. Jesus, however, is teaching the people, the followers, listen, when you come, you need to be serious. You need to be seriously minded. You need to think through things very carefully and you need to really understand and evaluate your own life so jesus is on his journey to jerusalem here if you look at the context of everything that is going on he had spoken to the rich young ruler he had told foretold of his death yet again then he healed the blind beggar bartimaeus and and Then Jesus did something miraculous. He taught a rich man, and this rich man, unlike the previous rich man, this rich man, Zacchaeus, he actually believed. This was what Jesus had said that it's easier for a rich man to go through the, or for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Only God can do that. And truly, that's what God did. God saved Zacchaeus, showing his great power. Now, you, if you look at verse 28 in chapter 19, you'll notice it is titled the triumphal entry. This is where Jesus goes into Jerusalem. This is where Jesus enters the final stage. And He explained exactly why He had come. Look at verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That was Jesus' mission. Simple and clear. He came to seek and to save the lost. But before Jesus goes into Jerusalem, before He enters there, He gives them a parable. He knows that they're listening. He knows that the people had heard what the the mission was. And so He gives them a parable. But before we get to the parable, you have to understand why this parable would have been so connecting with them. Um, There was a historical event that these people lived through that made what Jesus was going to say very, very relevant to their lives. Now, I realize that some of the younger kids might not get this, but if I told you the historical event about a certain Tuesday in 2001 that was a bright, sunny day in New York and some hijackers flew airplanes into Two buildings crashed another one in the Capitol or uh, in the Pentagon and then another one in a field in Pennsylvania. You would know exactly what I was talking about, wouldn't you? You, you, You're like, that was over 20 years ago, but I still remember this event. There was an event that occurred politically during this time, that was fresh in their minds. You see, you remember when Jesus was born, who was the king? That's, a, that's an important word. Who was the king? There was King Herod. Herod the Great. And Herod the Great was a ruthless ruler. You recall him. He wanted to have all of the children of Bethlehem killed, trying to root out this other supposed king that was born, king of the Jews. And so, It wasn't long after that, that if you read in Matthew chapter 2, that he dies. And you recall that it was safe for them to go back. But the, the author says that Mary and Joseph were warned not to go back there where they had come from because there was another ruler in his place, Archelaus. 
Now, Archelaus was his son, was Herod the Great's son. So King Herod dies, and he leaves all the rest of his kingdom to his three different sons. And so, King, or so Archelaus is the ruler now. He ruled in Judea, in Samaria, in Iduma, and here he is ruling. Now, while he was there, he began doing some different things. Okay? He began ruling, and he wanted to show that he was in charge. And it was kind of like, hey, you think my dad was uh, brutal? Wait till you see me rule. And so during the Passover time, there were Jews, of course, who were there. And Archelaus had 3,000 Jews slaughtered during Passover. Now, do you think that made an impression on these people? Do you think that these people remembered this? Well, Archelaus wasn't the king yet. Archelaus went to Rome. He traveled on a journey and went to Rome. And the reason he went to Rome was he went to Rome to go before Caesar Augustus so that Caesar would pronounce him not just a ruler but to be the king just like his father and as he was traveling there some of these jews a certain group of jews who were underneath archelaus they hated him they hated him and they got a whole band of people together and they followed archelaus there and when he went before Caesar and said, I want to be the king, there was this whole group that said, whoa, ho, hold up. This, this guy is horrible. We hate him. We don't want to be under his rule. We don't want anything to do with this guy. Well, Caesar kind of wanted some peace, and he said, okay, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm not going to make you the, the monarch. I'm not going to make you the king, but I'm going to make you an ethnarch. And you will have these three areas to rule over. And if you do a good job, then I will make you king. Well, that did not happen. Because as you know, it was not Archelaus that Jesus stood before when he was on trial. It was Pilate. See, Archelaus continued just to make wrong step after wrong step. They removed him. And there were a series of governors, the fifth governor being Pontius Pilate, and you're very familiar with him. That whole historical situation, Jesus recognized that here goes off this man to, to ask to get his kingdom, and what ends up happening is there's a group of people that follow him and say, no, we don't want that. And when he comes back, he never receives the kingdom and he is removed. Jesus, in his last teaching, before he goes to the cross of the disciples, takes that historical event, something that would have been fresh on their mind, something they would have known. Maybe some of them had family members who had been killed by Archelaus. He takes that and then he says, let me give you a parable. Let me give you a parable. Let me give you a parable about the way that maybe this should have been. Let me give you a, a, a parable. Something that you can relate to here and you can understand. You see, here Jesus is the prince, the nobleman who goes away to receive the title of king. And he gets it. He receives this, and he is a good king. And the people that are following him and don't want him, they are not wicked. Pe they, they are not people going after a wicked king. They are wicked people going after a good king. And they are saying, we don't want him to rule over us. And so in this parable, I want you to see that there are three types of people. So let's just kind of get this down. First of all, there are three types of people that are, that are shown here. First of all, you have the faithful servants. The faithful servants. These are the people who are going to carry on the work of the kingdom. The king is gone, and the king gives them some stuff to do. And he says, hey, I'm going I'm to be gone. I want you to, to take over, and I want you to do this stuff. And so they're faithful. He gets back, finds out what they did. All right, great. Then you have an, uh, the faithless servants. 
These seem like servants, but they don't in fact do anything for the prince while he's gone. They are what I term passive rebels. They're, they're, not, they're not saying, we hate him, we hate him. They're, they're just saying, we're just not going to do anything. They're passive, but they're rebellious in that. And then you have the enemies. They, you have Jesus' enemies, and these are those who outwardly reject the king. These are the active rebels. And really what you see here is that everybody, everybody fits into one of these three categories. Everyone. Everybody fits into one of these categories. That's why Jesus gives this parable here. That's why Jesus explains this here. And so our theme this morning, if you're taking notes, you can look over on the back of your bulletin. It's printed out there. But our theme this morning is that all people, emphasis all people, all people have a responsibility while King Jesus is away. And when He returns, they'll give an account. And they will be righteously judged accordingly. Righteously judged. Won't Nobody will be able to say, oh, that's not fair. You're going to see one of the characters. He tries that. And he says, no, no. You're, everything is fair. Well, first of all, let's look at the purpose of the parable. Purpose of the parable. Jesus gives this uh, very quickly. He is, in verse 11, he is uh, still in Jericho. He was near Jerusalem. He was about uh, 18 miles away. Uh, take, about, take them about six hours to walk there from this point in time. And Jesus had healed uh, blind Bartimaeus. He had uh, eaten with Zacchaeus. And it says that, and as they heard these things, he proceeded to tell them a parable. So this is connected with Jesus and Zacchaeus. Undoubtedly, what Jesus is referring to here, or Luke rather, of what Jesus is that Jesus had said, I've come to seek and to save the lost. So Jesus tells them, I came to seek and to save the lost. That's why I came. Flip back a little bit in chapter 18 and look at verse 31 through 34. I'm not going to read it, but you look there and Jesus says, I'm going there. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be buried. I'm going to be raised on the third day. The sixth time Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, he shares that information. And so they're still thinking Jesus is going to enter Jerusalem and he is going to be crowned the king. And he is going to take over the kingdom. He's going to, he's going to take over Rome. He's going to, he, we're, we're now going to have a political king. This is what we are going to have. They thought Jesus was going to deliver up the kingdom to them. Notice that's exactly why Jesus says he gives us parable. He proceeded to tell him a parable, verse 11, because he was near Jerusalem, so the time was short, right? Time was short. And he says that I'm going near Jerusalem, and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. So Jesus tells him a parable. No, 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 no. Don't think I'm going to walk into Jerusalem. Everybody's going to praise me. They're going to crown me king, and you guys are going to all, everything's going to be great. He says, no, that's the wrong way to think about it. I'm going to go into Jerusalem and I'm going to be killed. And I'm going to be raised on the third day. The kingdom is not coming visibly immediately. So you need to be prepared. Matter of fact, I'm going away. Jesus already told him that, didn't he? John 14. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm going away. And he, he, he says, I'm, I'm going away and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And... Um, so Jesus, Jesus says that they're wrongly thinking about why I came. People do that today. They wrongly assume why Jesus came. He came to uh, uh, you know, bring social justice to the world. He came to just be a good teacher or a good moral influence for all of us. And, and some of those things are, have a twinge of truth, right? We are supposed to see Jesus as a good example but that's not the end-all, be-all. He says why He came, to seek and to save the lost. And by the way, we just want to remind ourselves that Jesus doesn't just seek the lost. Jesus seeks and saves. Okay? So, so Jesus isn't like on this mission and, 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 and he, he might fail. 
I mean, if everybody rejects him, he's going to fail. That, that is not going to happen. Jesus seeks and he saves the lost. Okay? And so Jesus is coming to Jerusalem. And so they weren't really ready for this. He would rise again and he would ascend to his father. You see, there's one thing that we need to just pause just for a brief moment and think about the fact is uh, that we need to look at God's character. We're not all on God's timetable. You could look at this and you could say, well, what about it? Lord, when, we know you left. We, we, we've got that. But why don't you come back? Why don't you come back now? Right? That, that's the hope of every generation of Christians, isn't it? Lord, Lord, come back now, now I know, you know, when you're a kid, you're like, Lord, come back like in 20 years. I'm going to kind of grow up and experience certain things, right? You know, <laughs> we all get that kind of little selfish thing, you know, oh, my grandkids just about to be born. Lord, come back in like, you know, 12 months, you know, uh, or whatever it may be. But but we all desire the Lord to come back, Jesus to come back. But we have to recognize, and this would be point number one, we need to recognize God's patience. We need to recognize God's patience. Not going to take a lot of time on this, but in 2 Peter 3, 8-10, to Peter uh, recognizes that there are scoffers out there. And, and, and that is true. They say, oh, well, where is His coming? Where is He? I mean, you said He left and He's coming back. Jesus says, I'm returning soon. How soon is soon? And they mock well, 2 Peter 3, 8-10 says, Don't look over, overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. God is above and beyond time in ways that we don't really understand. And so, the Lord, however, it goes to His character, verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness. See, some people think, well, Lord, if you were faster, you would be more faithful. And Jesus and Peter saying, look, the Lord isn't, he's not slow. And get this, this is really key to this passage, but he is patient toward you. Now, did you get that? Who did he say he is patient toward? You. Peter says he is patient to you, to you, church. He is patient to you, people in Bithynia and Cappadocia and, and all those places that Peter is writing to, he says he is patient to you. Why? Well, he says because he's not willing or wishing that any would perish. Any who? Any of you would perish, but that you would all reach repentance. See, not, not everybody comes to Christ at the same time, do they? I mean, there are some people in here like, I mean, you can't even remember a time when you didn't know Jesus. You didn't walk with Him. And some of you, you're like 65 and you're like, boom, the lights went on. You know, God flipped the switch at 65. And you wonder, why didn't you do that earlier? Well, I mean, He is God. He is patient. He is kind. Okay? And so if the Lord comes, when the Lord comes back, I mean, it's over. You get that. There, there, there's no more time. I mean, there, there's the, the end comes. So there, there are people who need the gospel. And so Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm, I'm patient. I'm patient. So while He is gone, we have to recognize God is being patient and we have a stewardship. That's why I entitled this the, the parable of the steward. Okay? The, the, we, we have a stewardship. We have been given this, this job to do. We have something to do. And we, when He comes back, we don't want Him to be disappointed. Uh, can't remember if I ever told you this story or not. If I did, forgive me. But uh, when I was in high school, I think I was a senior, I had this great opportunity to watch my cousin's house. I don't know how you watch a house, but I, I did. I was there. They didn't even have any animals. I just watched the house. And they told me they were coming back on Saturday. Well, it's a bad thing to tell a teenager when you're coming back. Right? Because he has friends over. And teenagers aren't known for cleanliness, cleaning up after themselves, you know, all of these things. And especially when you are an oblivious teenager and you're house-sitting for a neat freak. 
those don't go well together. Well, anyway, I was there. I mean, pizza boxes everywhere, chicken wings laying on the floor. Who knows? We had watched the movie the night before, had you know, a couple friends over. Well, guess who decided to come home early? And so I don't even know how my mom got in touch with me because we didn't have cell phones back then. Well, we didn't have cell phones back then, right? I, I think she must have called the school and was like, look, tell Michael, do not go back to his cousin's house. They came home early. They saw that house. And your cousin's husband had such a conniption, he lost the ability to speak. Don't go back. Don't go back. Well, I didn't go back. And I didn't even do anything really bad in the house, okay? I'm kind of making it sound like it's worse than it was. But, but the point was, they just said, hey, just take care of the house. Make sure it's good while we're gone. And I didn't do that fully. And so Jesus gives us a stewardship. Take care. Take care of business. That's going to be an important word. Take care of business while I'm gone. Well, notice what Jesus explains. He explains this parable that's really not difficult to understand, especially in light of the, the historical context. Look at verse tw- verses 12 to 14, the nobleman's preparation for his journey. One thing that Daryl Bach notes is that even earlier, Herod the Great made a similar journey to Rome in 40 B.C. to receive the kingship from Mark Antony. So this illustration was very meaningful to Jewish audiences. So this was kind of the way that it it went for them. They understood this. So it goes deeper. Well, here's this nobleman who goes into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom. He's the prince. He's going out. He's going to get the kingdom. Then verse 12, it says he's going to return. We understand that this happened with Christ in His resurrection. Let me just read Ephesians 1, 19-23. You go back later on this afternoon, look this passage up and read it. But it speaks of that what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe, according to the work of His great might, that He worked when Christ, when He raised Him from the dead, and seated Him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He has put all things under His feet and gave Him the head of all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of all who fills all in all. You see, with Christ, upon His resurrection, He is given the kingdom. He, 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 is, he is a way to receive the kingdom. And He receives it. At that point, when He ascended to His Father, He is given the kingdom, but we yet wait for Him to come back. And so while we wait for Him to come back, we see what is given here. Notice what it says. That while He is gone, He calls ten of His servants. And He gave each of them ten minas. And he said to them, engage in business until I come. Until I return, this is what I want you to do. Engage in business. So he, he gives them each a minna. One minna was worth about three to four months worth of wages. So in, in comparison to Matthew 25, the parable of the talents, and there are about eight to ten differences in the parable of the talents in this parable. We just don't have time to go through all the differences. But there are differences. I think he's talking about different aspects, different things. A similar teaching, but they're different. Okay, Just for instance, in that one, the, the values are far greater. Also in that one, they're given according to their abilities. In Matthew 25, here, each one of them gets the exact same. Each one gets one minna. Everybody gets the same amount. In that one, they're, they're, they're all given different amounts. Right? You know? Uh, 10, 5, and 2 here. They're all given one. Everybody, so everybody has one. All the servants have the same. And so what we see here is he tells them to do business. ESV here uh, translates it and, and tells them to engage in business. This is a Greek word, uh, pragmatuomai. And you hear the word pragmatic in that? 
the word pragmatic means what? To, to work something out in a practical manner. So what he's saying is, I want you, while I am gone, I want you to work things out in a practical manner. I want you to do business. And so this is a lesson for his faithful servants. And this teaches us point two, that we need to be diligent to do the work of the Lord while he is away. That, that's what we need to do. We need to be busy and diligent. Diligent is the word. Diligent to work for the Lord while He is away. Now there's a lot embedded in that, but in Colossians 3, 23 to chapter 4, verse 1, He says, Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord, not for men. And you need to know that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You're serving the Lord Christ. The word Lord there is important. The Lord Christ. It says, For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. There's no partiality. So then he says, That should translate over into how we live. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So he tells you, Listen, you need to, you need to work and serve the Lord. So I think we need to briefly ask what kind of work what what does that mean well first of all each one of us we all have different talents so that that's more like matthew 25 perhaps but here we we do see that there is one thing that every single person has that would be equal and that is the ability to proclaim the gospel now we all have different aspects and different resources and, and different venues in which to do that. But we all have that same responsibility. Paul teaches us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 18-20. Take that home and study it. He says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And he explains what that is. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we're ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. And so He says, we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Every single one of us. And I know... You know, people, you can get people to read their Bible. You can get people to go to church. But for some reason, it is really hard to get people to open their mouths to tell other people about Jesus. Isn't that true? It is. It is hard. And I don't want you to think that I'm standing up here like, man, that's just the easiest thing in the world. You know, I hop on a plane. I hop on a plane and I'm like, hey, I hope that God sends some guy that doesn't know Jesus to sit next to me so that I can spend the entire flight with a captive audience and tell them about Jesus. In my flesh, that's not what I have. I'm sitting there thinking two things. Number one, I hope nobody sits next to me on this flight. And number two, if this person does, I hope they sit down and put their headphones on. That's me in the flesh. But that's not what I'm called to do, is it? Uh, I'm called to just start with your family. Just start with your family. And you say, those are the hardest people. Okay, fine. Start with the hardest people then. But, you know, we we have to, to open our mouths. We have to. You have to. He's given that to you. He has given that to you. He has given that to me. And there is going to come a day He's going to say, what did you do with that? What did you do? Now, you all know there are people that they go out there and, I mean, they just almost like look at people and the people are like, I repent. You know? And then there are other people and you're like, man, I've shared the gospel with 5,000 people and every one of them is like, get lost, buddy. And isn't it interesting, though, You, I've heard some really bizarre stories people you're like man you're nuts you know even i think you're one of those nuts and sometimes those nuts sometimes god uses those nuts and sometimes i just like to use those as excuses so ask god to give you grace 
let me put a positive spin on it. Lord, Lord, give me grace to open my mouth. And number two, Lord, give me someone. Give me someone to open my mouth to. Give me the grace. And let, let, let me just, all you got to do is tell what happened to you. If, if you just want to start with that. But also, this passage does speak of serving Christ. Um, Jesus doesn't say specifically that is the gospel. He does say that it is about serving and about doing his business. And there are all kinds of ways that as a church, a body, that we serve Christ. And it's all for to seek and to save the lost. So how do we do that? I was uh, away for a couple days this week and was talking with a couple guys. Uh, and they, they, they go to a large church and they were, they're de- they were both deacons. Right. And and well, they're friends of mine and and we're we're talking and you know what they were doing? They were complaining. I mean, it wasn't like terrible complaining, complaining. They were just evaluating. And you know what they were evaluating? They were evaluating how they had all these things that they needed done, all these things that they wanted done. And they had a lot of people in the church who were capable of doing those things, but nobody was willing to do them. You see, it doesn't matter if you have a big church or little church. You guys have heard of the 2080, right? 20% of the people do 80% of the work. I'm just throwing that out there, okay? I think that we do, a, there are a lot of people who help out. That is up to the Lord to work in your hearts and lives. But, but the point is that we do have opportunities. We have opportunities to serve Christ. Oh, it might not fit your perfect, comfortable level. Is that why Jesus came? Is it? I told Julie we, we had an appointment that we had to go to. I'm not, I don't want to say because of just it's, it's sensitive. But we had an appointment we had to go to, and I knew there was going to be someone there that I wanted to try to have an influence on. But my time constraint was like, and I told her, she said, I'm going to this thing. I said, I am not going. I knew that was in total defiance to what the Lord wanted me to do. And I said, I am not going. And then when the time came, I had like this narrow sliver of time to, to, to go. I could either have rested and done something that I wanted to do, or I could have gone. And see, I was bound and determined I was going to rest. I could make all kinds of excuses. I need to rest. I have to go preach the next day. All right. But see, I listened to this sermon by this guy. And the Lord worked in my heart and turned my little heart of stone. And I said, fine, I'll go. But I'm not going to like it. I'm probably not going to get a reward for it, but I'm still going to go. You know, and and I just thought about that. I thought, you know, there's that little phrase. It's kind of cheesy maybe sounding. You know, it's, it's the kind of thing that I've seen over hanging, you know, over the toilet embroidered and it says, you know, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And that might be some silly little embroidered thing over your grandmother's toilet. But let me tell you what, that's true. That is true. Isn't it? It's true. And I was like, you know, Lord, you didn't put me here for a life of ease. I will go. And we will do this. You know, and the Lord blesses you when you do things like that. And there are far more times where I'm disobedient to that than obedient. So let's move on. You see what the citizens, how they respond. Jesus in verses 12 to 14, he says, hey, you you need to go and engage in business and kingdom work while I come. He says, but his citizens, verse 14, his citizens hated him. And so they sent a delegation after him while he's going off to this country. And they're saying, we don't want this man to reign over us. They don't want him. Very different from Archelaus. Jesus was the total opposite of a wicked man. He was meek and lowly. He was a king with great power, but he was a kind ruler. He's a perfect king. Notice their reactions. Jesus will come back to them. But notice that the king's return in evaluations, verses 15 through 25. Verse 15, you see that the king returns. He received the kingdom, unlike Archelaus. He receives this kingdom, what Jesus was shown in Ephesians 1. 
So then he ordered his servants to all to whom had been given money, the minya, to be called to him so that he might know what they had gained by doing business. There's going to be a great time Jesus is going to call his servants and he's going to say, all right, I gave you all this. What'd you do? What'd you do with it? What, what did you do with it? And so he calls the first servant. The first, it says, came before him. and says, Lord, your minna has made ten minnas more. That's a pretty good return, about a thousand percent profit. And notice the humility that he uses. Lord, because this is going to be important for what comes later. Lord, your minna, what, what you gave me has come back profitable. Okay, so I I would like to just pause there and say it's kind of like us. If we're going to interpret this as the gospel, Lord, the gospel that you gave to us, it wasn't me trying to be slick with marketing things and and trying to use great arguments to share the gospel. Lord, the gospel that you entrusted me with, it went forth with great power and, and it produced a thousandfold. Okay, Lord, the the grace in in your going deeper questions, I have that. Okay, so go home, read that about how Paul ministered. It wasn't by his own self. It was through God's grace. That's the only way that you can survive as a believer through God's grace and giving you the power to do the things that you need to do. So all glory goes back to him. Okay, all glory goes back to him. And so he says, he's your your minna has done this. So then notice what God says to him. What the king says, well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in a very little, you will have authority over ten cities. Wow. So, so his reward is more responsibility. And that's a great thing. He, he says, well, the second came to him. He says, Lord, your minna has made five minnas, 500%. And he said to him, well, you're going to be over five cities. Here you don't have the, the same verbal recognition, but at least he didn't waste it. He didn't waste it. And so when, when we see this, we, we understand that there is a reward that is given. So just mark that down. That's something that is important for us to know. Point number three, know you will be rewarded by the king upon his return. Know that there's a reward that is coming. I don't know about you, but if I, if I don't know that there is something in return, it's kind of hard to be motivated, isn't it? I mean, we, we're kind of like that. In all sorts of things, they're, they're, we don't like to just do a whole lot of work for nothing. You ever done that? You ever had a whole entire day where you worked really, really hard? The project failed. You lost money. Now you're tired, hot, sweaty, and you lost all... Nobody goes and says, man, that was a great, satisfying day. Right? At least if you're working hard on a project, you're building a deck, and it takes all day. At least the satisfaction at the end of the day is you're like, look at the deck. If you work hard at your job, you look forward to... What what day do you look forward to in, in your job? Come on. What day do you look forward to? Payday. Right? Nobody says, ah, keep it. I mean, it was just a joy. I mean, it was a pleasure. I don't need that. That's supposed to motivate you, right? Motivation. God knows how we are. He says, look, you work for me. I'm going to motivate you. You're going to get a reward. I think the problem is we really don't believe that. We, We... Work hard now? I mean, I, I got stuff to do. That recliner isn't going to recline by itself. I got work to do. There's a, there's a reward coming. You got to work for it. Listen, 1 Corinthians 3, don't have time to look at it. You look it up. But it says, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation, you work on that foundation of Christ, if it survives, he will receive a reward. We're all going to stand. He says, also, don't go around. Some people, they make it their job to be Jesus, their job to be judge. And all they're doing is going around constantly thinking they're Jesus at the judgment seat. So they're constantly judging people, Romans 14, 10 to 12. And he says, listen, don't worry about what other people are doing. You need to worry about yourself. And he says, 
Because each one of us will give account of himself to God. Don't worry about what the other people are doing in church. Worry about what you're doing. That's enough. You're going to stand before God. He's not going to ask you what person A, B, and C are doing or what they have done. He's going to ask you what you did. You see that. The third servant isn't asked what servant first and second do. He's asked, what did you do with the minna I gave you? And so that's what happens. Now, there's a little twist here. There's an interesting word here. Verse 20. Verse 20, it says, there came another came. Now, this word another, there are two, generally two different Greek words in, uh, that mean another. You have alos, which means another of a similar kind. So when Jesus says, I'm sending you another, the Holy Spirit, alos, another is coming. But then there's an, uh, uh, another word that means another called heteros. And you, you understand that, right? Heteros. Right? So that means a, another of a different kind. And so that's what he says here. Now another servant comes. So this is another servant. This is a, this is a different kind of servant. He's not a faithful servant. Notice what happens. Here he comes. And this, this guy says, another comes to him. Lord, he goes, here's your minnow. He says, I, I kept it laid away in a handkerchief. That was kind of like a... a something that was worn on the back of a neck to prevent sunburn. And he wrapped it up and he would take it and bury it. And he says, well, I, here's why I did that, Lord. I, I was afraid of you um, because you're, you're a severe man. That word severe actually is a Greek word, austeros, which we get the word austere, which means harsh, hard, very serious. He goes, well, you know, you're, you're a harsh man, and so I just didn't do anything with it. I didn't do anything with it. And so he talks to him, and we know that this isn't how the man is, because, yeah, he's serious about his business, but he's not wicked. Notice he's essentially accusing him of being a thief, because look at what he says about him. He goes, uh, he says, Here's what you do. You're a severe man. You take what you didn't deposit and you reap what you didn't sow. Boy, that sounds like an ungrateful worker, doesn't it? You, you're taking stuff. You, you, you didn't work for this. You didn't deposit it. And, and then you're going you're gonna to take some of the benefits. Of course, he's not really realizing that he's getting benefits. And he says, basically, you're a thief. Boy, he's, he doesn't... Ultimately, we see he really doesn't know who this person is, does he? He doesn't really truly know this master. It's quite a different attitude from the first and second. He doesn't really know him. Because then notice what occurs here. Look at verse 22. How the king's response to the the servant. He says, I will condemn you with your own words. Notice what he refers to him as. You wicked servant. So he's not the same as the first two, though he had been given this. He says, I'm going to condemn you with your own words. He says, you knew I was a severe man. And, and taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow, that, that's what you accuse me of. He says, well, then why didn't you at least do this? Why didn't you at least do the bare minimum? Why didn't you take the minna, the money, and just go put it in the bank. Now that takes no effort. Just take it, put it in the bank. Let the lenders do the work that you were supposed to, and at least they'll earn something. It's kind of like right now. You know, most of the time, having your money in a savings account is not very good. But I mean, interest rates are pretty good right now. I mean, you can get some pretty good stuff like 4.5% in some of your, in some, and there's a whole reason why all that's happening. But the point is, I'm, Every, every month, like you get a little bit, and you're like, wow, I didn't even do anything. And there's like, you know, a couple bucks in there. Wow. I didn't do anything. Didn't do, not, didn't do a single thing. You see, he says, you could have at least done that. Let, let me just stop and ask you this question. Let me just ask, what is the bare minimum that you can do for Jesus? And do you even do that? I mean, th- 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 those are questions you have to ask the Lord to search your heart. I, I-, I don't know that. 
I just have to ask that for, for me. What, what is the very least? He didn't even do the very least. And so the, ver- the verdict is rendered. The king says, well, you know what? Take the minnow from him and give it to the one who has ten. I love what th- this man does. There's a protest. The man and others, they say, well, Lord, that's not fair. He, he has ten. Always worried about fairness. The king explains, listen, this you need to get out of your squishy little world that you live in. Okay? You need to get out of your make-believe neighborhood and you need to get into reality because this is what it is like. He says, well, I tell you that to everyone who has, more is going to be given to them. And, and to the one who doesn't have even... What he has will be taken away. The one that doesn't have anything because he didn't do anything, I'm going to take even that away. Now, that doesn't sound very nice, but who is that kind of person today? That's a person who truly doesn't know Jesus. They might be associated with God's people, but they don't actually follow through with the Master's commands. Similar to the warning in Matthew, then I'll say to you, depart from me, I never knew you. See, there's no relationship with the servant and his master. Because eternal life is indeed knowing Christ. But look, look at verse 27. Here we see the king's judgment. This is why it's so important. Notice what the nobleman, who is the king, it says when he has done all of these things, there's one more group of people that he has to deal with. The king, he's taking care of all those left behind in his charge, and then he returns. There's one group left, his enemies. These are the ones who didn't want what? They didn't want Him to rule over Him. Remember the theme that I talked about? All people have a responsibility while the King is gone. The the people that are His enemies, their responsibility is to do what? To repent and believe. To, To submit to the rule of Christ. That's their responsibility. Those who are His servants, it's our responsibility to serve Him. To do and take what He has given us and to multiply it. But He says, notice... He calls them the enemies of mine. It says, they, they didn't want me to reign over them. Isn't that true? That peop- they, it's not that they object to Jesus. They just don't want Jesus reigning over them. And that's why there's that terrible teaching in the church even that says, you can take Jesus as a Savior, but He's not your Lord. You do that some other time in your life if you want to. That kind of seems like People say, oh yeah, I'll I'll take the minna, but I don't want him to rule over me. I'll take his money, but I don't want him to rule. He says, well, these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, he says, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Now, that's not exactly, you know, an in-tune kind of sermon series that you want to be preaching is it you know boy i went to church today and i just left feeling so good warm and fuzzy but this is what jesus said this is the jesus you came to hear so he's given a warning isn't he he's giving a, a warning to us make sure make sure so so point number number four understand christ will judge his enemies you need to understand that christ will do this so Believer, don't be discouraged when you see Christ's enemies rebelling against Him. The rebelling is for a season. And second of all, if you currently are actively one of those who are His rebels, the King welcomes you to repent and believe and to become His, to become one of His servants to whom He will greatly and truly reward. Psalm 2 is a great psalm to go home and read. I'd encourage you to do that. And it ends like this. It says, kiss the son, the king. Kiss the son. Make good with with the son, the king. Lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. But then he ends it with this. But blessed are all who take refuge in him. So, what are you doing for Christ? And do you find your refuge in Him? Do you find 
your refuge in Christ. The rewarded are those who truly know Christ, the Master, and they serve Him diligently. And those who are rejected by the King are those who do not know Him truly or they out and out reject Him. The crime is the same, the rejection of His Lordship. Realize we must kiss the Son. We must embrace Him. Those who come to Him, He will not cast you out. But blessed are all those who take their refuge in Him. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that You will bless the teaching of Your Son. Lord Jesus is the one who gave this parable. Hardly anybody, Lord, will say, I reject the teachings of Jesus. But if we read this parable, there will be millions who would reject it. Help us, Lord, to stop and just to think that Jesus is so kind and gracious. He is sharing with us a warning to be a true faithful servant of His and not to be a fake servant or to be one of His enemies. I pray, Lord, that You will, by Your grace, search our hearts. Lord, help us to see that this world is not all that there is. It's just a a speck. It's just a moment And that there is eternity. And truly, Lord, all the things that we put our time and strive after, those things will fleet away. But truly, what is done for Christ indeed will last. Lord, I don't know what else to say other than just for You to have Your will and way in our lives. We submit to You, Lord. We ask You to forgive us for where we have failed You. But Lord, help us to live truly in light of eternity. Help people to know that you are indeed a good, good King. Let us submit to you and to love you, Lord, with all of our hearts. Because you truly came to seek and to save the lost. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. This time, if you are a visitor or you have somewhere to go, you are dismissed at this time. I'm going to ask Fred. He's